You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, May 28th, 2019, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the MMA Hour. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm the host of this program. My name is Luke Thomas, as always. Fun show planned for you donkeys today. Let's see, we're going to have the co-headliners for UFC Stockholm here at 12.40 East Coast time. Lionheart will make his return to the show, Anthony Smith, at around 2 o'clock or so. Uh, the other headliner, uh, Alexander Gustafson, will be here. That should be a lot of fun. Plus, your calls. Uh, we did not get to them last week because of the long interview that we had. So we've got all the ones from last week plus all the ones from this week. We'll make them current. We'll make them fresh. It'll be good on the sound off, as always, 844-866-2468. Keep sending those questions, and you can email voice clips if you're an international listener slash viewer uh, using uh, Hour at voxmedia.com. Keep sending those. Plus, we'll get to a round of tweets using your hashtag, well, our hashtag, Hour, And, um, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Hope you had a nice weekend. Hope it was relaxing three days off, for most of us anyway. Uh, it was Memorial Day, which is a weird day because a lot of folks thank veterans on Memorial Day, but that's for Veterans Day. You should actually honor the fallen on Memorial Day, but, you know, I'll take military gratitude where I can get it. Um, so, yeah, not sure what else to say about that. Uh, we have UFC Stockholm coming up this weekend. All right, let's do this, boys. Time for a round of tweets, yes? Boys and girls. I got a stall. Well, then why don't we just... All right, I mean, we're going to push the Anthony Smith thing back. Yeah, we, I guess we can do that. That's all right. That's fine. So there you go. People get mad when you say MMA predictions are kind of like bogus, but if you treat them as fun, they're fine. Occasionally, you'll hit the jackpot. You'll get some right. Remember those days when the UFC used to uh, do three in a row, three events in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? There was one of those where I did predictions for the site. I got them all right on Thursday. I got them all right on Friday. And then I like est the bed on Saturday and I never heard the end of it from the Jokers online. But the reality is how could you possibly do that well? It's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of alchemy. And folks don't want to admit that, but it kind of is. Not for every everybody, but for 99% of people. All right, let's do a round of tweets. When the clock goes up, there it is. God damn it, I always get that wrong. All right, hey guys. This is not related to MMA, but what are your thoughts on the unidentified flying objects being seen on the East Coast of the U.S.? It seems to have been happening for years. Thanks, guys. If you guys didn't see, the New York Times did an article on how the, uh, I believe it's the Navy, is dealing with these literal UFOs. They don't know what they are. Is it some kind of secret drone program? Is it aliens? They don't really know. They move in unusual ways, but they were saying they had to change the way that, that pilots report them and what they mean. If you've not seen it, I highly encourage it. I don't know what it means, but that article caught my attention, I'll be honest. Next. Uh, if Gustafson loses, does he retire? He said he might. Uh, does Smith become a number one contender again? He also might as well, man. He might as well. And I don't know what you do with that because he just lost to John. So beat John, beat Gustafson, and then you go back. But we've all been saying for years, man, the only ones who beat Gustafson are the very best. So... If he does that, it's a little bit unclear. Maybe you fight Johnny Walker. I don't know. There's a couple ways this could go, but that one is a possibility, sure. Next. Should I be excited for any of the prelim fights on Saturday? Um, that's a great question. 
The answer is probably not, because I don't know any of the ones that are on there. Let me look up here very quickly, if I may. UFC Stockholm Wiki. Uh, sorry, I know I'm killing time here. I will do this very quickly. Uh, let's see. Tanya Avenger, Lena Landsberg's pretty interesting. Stevie Ray, Le Leonardo Santos. Good to see Leo Santos back. Nick Hine versus Frank Camacho is back. All right. Yeah, there's a couple of them on there. That's pretty good. Next. Any chance you can elaborate on the future of MMA fighting? Hardcores that have been with you all deserve some insight. Yeah, there's been some staff turnover. Look, man, I am not the editor of the site. Um, I'm not even full-time. I'm just a contractor, so I don't make any of these decisions. Um, you know, I find out about this stuff in a lot of the ways that you guys do. All I can say is every day we wake up with the same mission to give you guys the best kind of product that we can. Um, certainly, you know, we sad to see many of our colleagues go, but we wish them nothing but the best. I know that the site is restaffing, but um, I'm a little bit on the outside looking in this one too. I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a leadership position. I have a visible position here with this show, which I'm very excited to have. But just to be clear, you know, it's a little bit out of my hands as well. So all I know is everyone on staff is talented. Everyone's working hard, and you know, time marches on. Next. How much, if any, do you believe injuries have lowered Dominic Cruz's potential ceiling? Man, probably a lot. You know, I know the guy was getting Botox shots in the bottom of his feet just to deal with the punishment. He, it appears, and I don't know this to be a fact, but just looking at the way in which he trains and that style and that sort of weird in and out fainting and fainting footwork, it just seems incredibly labor intensive. And the reason why a lot of people don't have labor-intensive styles is for this. It's that they are hard on the body, and they require a lot of cardiovascular energy to make it work. On the other hand, the benefit of having one of those labor-intensive styles that's incredibly difficult for an opponent to keep up with it. So you, you see a lot of labor-intensive styles. Like Khabib Nurmagomedov has a very labor-intensive style, which is not that great for finishing. Same with Cruz. Both of them have finishes. Both of them are capable finishing, finishers. But that's not what the style most, it's not what the style chiefly enables. It chiefly enables just work capacity. But work capacity is enough to break a lot of people. So um, it can break your opponent, but the problem is it can also do a number on you. Next. Uh, pick one player from the Raptors or the Warriors to have trained for the next 12 months. Who has the best chance for success in MMA? Okay, so that's an easy answer for the Raptors. The answer is Serge Ibaka, who just loves to fight, all right? Easy, easy answer for him. I would say Draymond Green, but I think Draymond Green is a clown and couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. So for the Warriors, I would say Iguodala. I would say Iguodala. Or maybe Boogie Cousins, but he's always injured too, and he's too big. So I'm going to go with Iguodala. I'm going to go with your sixth man there. Next. TJ versus Cejudo, Woodley versus Usman, Rose versus Andrade. Why does it seem like when a fighter is about to reach another level of success, they lose? Is there something to be said about that? Yeah, dude, because climbing the, the, the ranks and the various forms of achievement ladders is insanely difficult. It's why a St. Pierre is so special or Anderson Silva is so special or a Demetrius Johnson is so special. It's hard to maintain consistent greatness or John Jones. It's hard to maintain consistent greatness in this sport. And uh, you see, these are all different positions that they're in. Woodley was a little bit more senior, but the point still remains the same. One more before the clock expires, please. Should Megan Anderson and Cyborg, for vastly different reasons, move to PFL or Bellator? Also, Felicia Spencer probably could die down to 135 to put an end to 145 fiasco. I actually asked her about that. She wouldn't say she couldn't, but does not seem at all interested in doing it. 
Um, for Megan Anderson, I don't know about PFL, but I think Bellator for both those ladies could be hugely beneficial. Although they have a 145 division over there that's got some pretty decent fighters um, as well. No walk in the park. All right, do we have our next guest? Let's get to him now. Maybe perhaps one of my favorite interviews in the sport. This man will headline the upcoming UFC Stockholm card when he takes on Alexander Gustafson. He joins us now via Skype. Let's see him, Lionheart. There he is, Mr. Lionheart. How are you, sir? I'm good, Luke. How are you? Good. Are you in Stockholm? I am. How is it? First time in Sweden. Uh, quite cold with all that flannel, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a little bit chilly. Uh, it's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, the The town center is really cool. The, the architecture is cool. Uh, it's got some cool brick streets and real cool looking buildings. And the people have been nice so far. They haven't... Uh, attacked me or said mean things. I've been getting uh, lots of uh, lots of fist bumps and people politely asking me not to win. The Swedes seem like nice people. Yeah, yeah, so far they've been pretty nice. Um, all right, well, I appreciate you making some time for us and talking about this with us here. Let me uh, start the interview. I was thinking about this and doing a bit of a preview. You know, you're both coming off of a loss to John Jones. Let's start with you. Um, what it, now that you've had some time to digest everything and and think about it, how do you look back on the Jones experience? Was it, yes, you lost the fight, but absent that, how do you weigh what you gained and what you lost there? Uh, man, I don't think I gained a whole lot. Uh, a lot of stress and driving myself crazy. I lost a lot of sleep. Uh, I don't, I don't really pick a whole lot of good things that came from the, from the John fight, you know, I, and, and that's why I'm here in Sweden. Not that much longer later. Uh, I gotta, I gotta shake that. I gotta get that, that shitty feeling, uh, out of my stomach. What was it? Was it because you had headlined cards before now, not one that big, but was it, you were consumed by the enormity of the moment and then you kind of lost yourself in the fight. Was it something else? How, how do you evaluate it? I, I still can't. That's the problem. Uh, like you said, I've been in, I've been in plenty of main events. I've been, it, it did didn't feel any different. You know, I, I mean, the media obligations were a little bit crazier. The, the, uh, the, you know, Vegas was pretty wild. You know, there was lots of fans and, you know, I got recognized a lot more, but, but other than that, man, it felt normal. Like the whole camp felt, felt good. I think maybe the, you know, I mean, if we're really going to split hairs, I think the training camp was a little bit too long. Uh, but uh, I can't, I can't put my finger on anything. You know, the, the fight night, I felt good. Uh, walking to the octagon, I felt good right before the fight started. I felt fine. Uh, and I, and I'm was better than I'd ever been. Like I, I, I was sharp. I was on point. I was, I, everything was perfect. I don't know what happened. Hmm. Um, so the camp this time, it's a different fighter. So it's going to be a different camp. So I'm not asking for changes. I guess what I'm asking for is, was the way you structured the camp different as a result of tweaking things in response to the John fight? Well, just because of the timeline, it was obviously shorter. Mm. Uh, so I, I actually think that that was a little bit more beneficial. You know, it, when I started this camp, uh, it was almost like I hadn't lost anything. You know, I, I took a few weeks to just process it and just be you know, just be normal for a couple of weeks. But from day one, I, I, I was almost, I almost picked right back up where I left off with the John fight, which isn't normal. So that's not typically a normal thing. So 
you know, I, it, it's like we just extended it. It's like I took a couple weeks and then just kept on going. You know, it, nothing really changed. Hmm. Now, um, I, was, I think it was Aaron Bronstetter who pointed this out over at TSN. I want to make sure I give him credit. Since 2016, he's had three fights. You've had 11. So this will be his fourth. This will be your 12th. Any lesson to infer from that? Um, no, you know, I, I guess I don't really know what to think of that. You know, I guess I didn't realize he was that inactive. You know, I, I guess just generally, I know that he doesn't fight that often. Uh, I guess I didn't think, I didn't realize it was that, uh, it was that bad. I, I mean, maybe that just means I fight too much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose that's one lesson to draw. Here's uh, the one thing I've been thinking about. I, I, it's impossible for me to know exactly what the last fight will mean. I tend to think there's probably more benefits to it than you realize, but who the hell knows, right? Um, the one thing I do think about, though, is it, it, with respect to the fight, is, um, well, how, how many times have you been working with Mark Montoya? Which fight, how many numbers does this fight make? Um, Andrew Sanchez, Hector Lombard, Tiago, Rashad, Vulcan, John, this is seven. Oh, so you guys have to be in a rhythm at this point then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Well, especially as, as often as I'm there, you know, uh, I'm almost like a full-time teammate. Uh, yeah, we things are going well. They really are. Like, can't this, my mindset changed a lot, this, this whole training camp. And I, I think that that's been the biggest difference. But as far as the, the structure of training and, and all that stuff, Mark keeps a, a, a pretty tight ship. So everything's pretty, pretty much stayed the same. Uh, so, okay, two things then. A lot of times guys after a loss, now typically that comes from a bad loss. You did not have a bad, when I say bad loss, I mean like a knockout or a submission, right? Or they just get thoroughly dominated or something, right. you know, it's like a terrible beating, which you did not get. Um, but they'll try and chase something. So, for example, Michael Bisping gets choked out by St. Pierre, tries to fight Kelvin Gastelum soon thereafter, and, you know, it's a, it was a horrible end to things. Now, that was different. He got finished. It was a much closer approximation. But still, they're chasing something to wash it out whether or not the next step is inadvisable or not. Any concerns that that might be in play here? Or do you feel like this is still strategic and considered enough of a process to not have those concerns bear upon you? I mean, I don't, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't have any of those concerns. Um, not if anyone else has, you know, does have them, they haven't said, they haven't voiced them. Uh, but I'm not chasing a win. That's that, that. I think that that's the difference. I'm not chasing the win at all. I haven't even thought about the fight in a win versus loss situation or what this does for title contention or where this puts me in the rankings hasn't even crossed my mind. Uh, so I, I do think that some of those guys are chasing a win to get that bad taste out of their mouth. And that's not what I'm doing. So you mentioned there was a bit of a switch in mind frame for the camp. Can you share more about what that means? Uh, I'm chasing our performance. That, that's all I want. To be honest with you, I don't give a fuck what happens in the fight. I'm gonna, I, I want to perform, and that's it. I want to, I want to hit him as many times as I possibly can. I want to punch what I can punch. I want to kick what I can kick. And if he gets too close, I'll drag him to the fucking ground. And if he gets up, I'll do it again. That, that's all I want to do. I just want to perform. That's it. That's, that's as far as my, my mind has gone. Uh, and after that, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. But like, it's not even about Alex. This is about me. This is about wanting to take a break, but I can't do it with this burning feeling in my stomach. I just need to go. Like I had this feeling I just need to destroy something. So whatever happens 
in the interim, it doesn't matter to me. I just, I just need to get this feeling out of my stomach and, mm-hmm. and it, it's driving me crazy. It keeps me up at night. I, I, I just, I, I just don't give a shit. I, I, if it could be Alex, it could have been 10 other guys in the division. doesn't matter. I mean, clearly I'm a professional, so we're obviously aware of where he's good and, and where he potentially is. And we want to get to those areas, but there's, there's no game plan. You know, like the last two fights, I, I think that, I think I just got a little bit too intricate with the game plans. And, and I think it makes me think too much and I'm an instinctual fighter and always have. So I think that maybe I got away from, kind of what brought me to the dance a little bit. And, and I'm the pressure guy that, that gets in your face and swings hammers. And, and, and that's what got me here. And, you know, I, I could be the, the super clean striker that that's really pretty and, and, you know, the oohs and ahs everybody, but that's like deep down in my heart. That's not who I am. And, and I think that I was, I don't know, maybe I was trying to be something that I'm not, you know, like I have the abilities to do that. I think that we, at this level of the game, think we all have the ability to fight like that but i think it really comes down to who you are as a person and and that's just not who i am and i and i don't think that that's a secret so there there is no game plan it's to just react and and most of the time my my instincts are correct and i just want to do what feels right in the moment and not hold myself back so much and and, and stop trying to think so much and just fucking fight is that what you did in the Shogun and Rashad fights? No, the Rashad fight was so like short that it's hard to say, right? But maybe in the Shogun fight, like you just kind of felt like I'm gonna bomb on him wherever we go. That's that's exactly how we went into the Shogun fight because we didn't we didn't have enough time. You know, I took it on like eight days' notice or something, so there was really no time to overthink it or or try to come up with some sweet game plan that what you know that was gonna wow the world. It was just go in and just do what feels right and. Again, we're, we were aware of where Shogun's dangerous and where we kind of wanted to stay away from. But outside of that, it just just react. And 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 I've been doing this so long that you're not going to throw anything that I'm not going to see. So I, don't, I, I guess I don't know why I wanted to get away from being so instinctual and, and just kind of fighting on the fly. But it, if it's either if it's do that and risk you know getting caught or, or or something bad happening or feeling how I felt after the after the John fight. Uh, I'll risk getting caught every day. That's interesting. So you actually felt worse after the John fight than you did maybe let's say after the Tiago Santos fight. Now, not, not the weight cut part, but cause you two went out there and just murdered each other for <laughs> a good long while. You kind of gave them what you had and then, right. you know, then the, the, you know, the, the tank was on E and whatever, but is, is that a fair assessment? That's a, that's a hundred percent fair. I, I left Brazil with my head held high. Because I, I I left it in there, you know. I, I I fought my ass off, and and obviously didn't go my way. And there's there's factors that go into that, like you said, the weight cut and the travel and all and, and all that stuff. But uh, I didn't I didn't lose sleep over the Tiago fight. Although I know I could win that fight, that I sh- that I should have won that fight, and that I think we run that back again. I think it looks totally different. Uh, I, I I didn't have that shitty feeling because I know that giving like taking into account what I had to give for that performance before the fight even started, I gave everything I had. That was, that was all I had left. And in the John fight, that, that didn't happen. I, I, I left there feeling like I could have fought another 10 rounds. I had a lot more to give and, and that's a terrible feeling to have. Um, so without getting too much into any kind of game plan, being that there might not even be one, nevertheless, I'd like to talk about Alex and I know what you're probably going to say. Like, <laughs> Say what? 
said, there's not. I'm not. I'm not lying to you. There is no game plan. Okay. Nevertheless, though, you are aware of what he is good at as an opponent. Let me ask you this question. Um, my judgment, for whatever that is worth, maybe not much. He seems much better as a matador than a bull. Do you agree or disagree? I 100% agree. Um, does that I think, it, does that all affect how you want to fight him? Well, no, not really. I, I think I'm a better bull than a matador, so it ha it happens to work out in my favor. Uh, at least in my opinion, that's my opinion. I, uh, there's only one way we're going to find out, and that's just a few days away. So, I think that Alex clearly has really good footwork. He he, he starts everything with his jab. He's got a nasty rear uppercut. Uh, He's got a nasty left hand when he switches to southpaw. Uh, but other than that, with absolutely no disrespect, I don't see anything else to worry about. He's not a big kicker. He's not a great offensive wrestler. He's not a, a, a jujitsu guy that's going to take you down and smash past your guard. He's not going to butterfly sweep you or any kind of sweep for that matter. Uh, he's very basic, and, and so am I. So I'm not, I'm not saying that as a, as a knock on him. Uh, but he's he's very limited at what he's really really good at, and it's it, it's done him well for a very long time. He's very good at what he does. He's long. He, he, his movement, I'm I'm sure at times will be very annoying because he just doesn't stop. You never get a beat on him. Uh, you, you know, we've seen him frustrate several people. Uh, so I know what to expect. You know, I, there, there's no questions going. It's not John Jones where like you never know what that fucking guy might do. Uh, you don't, there's, there's no question to what I'm going to get it myself into on Saturday. Hmm. Um, do, do your coaches, you might not have a game plan. Do you think your coaches have a game? Cause I've talked to Mark. I just feel like somewhere in the back of his back of his back of his pocket, there's a little tiny game plan about where he might even like Jedi mind trick you in terms of steering you one direction or another. Do you think that's, that's possible? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a game plan though. I, Mark is good at, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys where you have to like beat this game plan into my head over and over and over for 10 weeks to get it to work. If Mark sees something in the fight, he'll call it and I'll do it. And, and it, like, I, I don't question it. So if I, if he says, you know, whatever he sees, I'll just do it immediately without, without questioning it or, or wanting to see it myself. That's the problem. A lot of guys hear what they hear, what their corners are saying but they don't necessarily see it themselves. So they don't have the confidence to just go and, and do whatever that specific technique might be because they don't see it themselves, which I can't disagree with. You know, it depends on what kind of person you are, but I trust Mark. So if Mark says there, it's there. And that that's, I would imagine there'll be a lot of that going on where he'll see something, he'll call it and I'll do it. And I, I just perform better that way. I perform better just by hearing whatever he wants to do. And I just do it. It takes my thought process out of it. And I just go, it really dumbs it down to the, the, the bare basics of fighting. It, you say it, I do it. So, so much of your 2018 and 2017 uh, was built towards um, getting out there and getting a title shot. And then you got it and you were dissatisfied with how everything went. What is 2019 about? Uh, it's a, 2019 is going to be a restart because it, it as long as, as long as this goes the way I think it's going to go, twenty nine, you won't see me until twenty nineteen. So uh, I'd like to to get this one out of the way and and keep my promise to my family that that I'm not doing, I'm not even considering fighting until 
the winter time. So I, I hope that the very beginning of the year, we can just take that break and just reset and then just figure out what everything looks like. Then I like, I, I just want to take a step back and let the division develop, you know, like they're not going to give me a title shot right away. Uh, and that's fine. You know, I have no problem earning it and, and having to fight again. That's not a problem, but it'd be nice to let the division develop a little bit and just pull myself out of it for a little while. You know, I, I, sometimes I feel like maybe the fans are a little bit overexposed, like, like Jesus Christ, like this guy's here again. Like they just keep seeing my face. So I think maybe pulling myself out of it a little bit and just letting other shit happen. And then maybe people will be excited to see me again instead of like, Oh, here he is again. You know, what do you want to do with your time off? You want to paint? You want to read books? You want to write books? No, I mean, I've, I like, I am so excited to get home. My kids are out of school the, the day before the fight that Friday. Uh, and I'm going to hook my camper up to my truck and we're going to get the four wheelers and the side by sides. And we're just going to pull it all over the country. We're going to, I can't wait. We have like five trips planned and then just keep on dragging it around in between. What do you have in the camper? Like what's the Anthony Smith rules of the road for the camper? rules of the road for the camper. Uh, well, usually behind, well, behind the camper, there's going to be a side-by-side and four wheelers inside yeah. of it. There's probably going to be, uh, lots of, lots of beer, uh, lots of yard games, uh, a bunch of steaks and, uh, probably packed full of kids toys until we park and have to pull them all out. Well, I gotta tell you, that doesn't sound too bad. My friend, uh, enjoy Stockholm. Hopefully you get a chance to go look around. Probably going to be in a bird on the white, the way home right after it's over, which who could blame you? Uh, I'm looking forward to Saturday, man. I think it's a big fight for both of you. It's an interesting test case for both of you as well. And um, I'm excited. Have fun. If I'm being, okay, if we're being honest here, how do you feel about the fight? I feel like um, now, excuse me. I feel like now is the right time for you to fight him because I don't know what kind of Alex we're going to get, you know, like, I don't want to overstate things. He's going to be in the show a little bit later. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but something, I don't know. I just didn't like his energy coming off that second John fight. And I could be completely wrong. I am not Miss Cleo, not a body language expert, but I think you discount a lot (laughs) of what happened in the John fight in terms of some of the tools you might have put together that might bring yourself to bear here. Um, And I like your chances to be candid. On the other hand, if Gustafson is the kind of one we saw against John the first time, you got your hands full, man. So it's really, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, this hinges on what that second John fight did to him. Cause he's like, I'm not even thinking about the title. If I can't beat Anthony Smith, I'm going to retire. I don't know if that means he's going to be super fired up or if, or, or if he is saying to himself, the, the ambitions that I had are no longer relevant. And that's a, that can be a lot for a fighter to weigh on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So that's it, man. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to it one way or the other because I know you two are going to get after it. I know that. <laughs> oh, that's for sure, man. There's uh, there's no doubt about that. I'm coming, and he's in his hometown. He's going to be. He's going to come out hot. His heart rate's going to be high. He's got his friends and family and fans and, and, and the whole damn country behind him, man. I'm excited. All right, well, have fun. I won't keep you any longer. We appreciate your time, Anthony Smith. You don't need any luck, so I'll just say have fun on Saturday. Thank you. Take care, brother. There he goes. Anthony Smith, one of the good guys in the sport. Okay.
So last week we had an in-studio guest and it went 75 hours long, way longer than we wanted to. And as a consequence, we didn't get to do a sound off last week. And I said I would make it up to you this week because if I can be honest with you, the sound off is one of my favorite segments that we do on this show. I actually really like hearing from you. And of course, you can always call 844-866-2468. You can email the MMA hour at voxmedia.com. Um, I love hearing from you guys. I think it's actually one of the cooler things that we do on the show. So without further ado, why don't we have a nice long edition of the sound off? All right, there he is. He is the aguardiente to my guajabo. I saw Danny this weekend in my hometown. I look That's on right. I'm on Instagram and I see his story. He's in DC and I'm like, wow, this fool came all the way to my city <laughs> and didn't even tell me, but we did actually end up meeting up. Yeah, yeah. And you were hung over in ways that are hard to describe. Is that very it? yes. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot better now. You know, as soon as I got to Brooklyn, had a nice, a nice juice. Yeah. Uh, you know, put in uh water, rehydrated. Yep. Feeling a lot better. Now, two questions for you. One, what did you think of DC? I liked it. It's it's a weird town, man. It's weird. It, it, it feels like a small town, but it's obviously the capital of the US. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me of where, you know, I grew up, you know, in, in, in South Florida. Like there's so much green and it kind of feels very suburby, but like at the same time, it's a big city. Um, and also like you you go around DC and like different parts look completely different yep. too. Um, which I thought it was it was it was pretty cool. You, but, got to, uh, you got to see all the sites. You got to see the Lincoln Memorial and the yeah, Washington I was Monument. There. I was there. That's cool, yeah, man. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. First time. I, I've been to D.C. before, but I was only there. I only, like, stayed there overnight, and then I left in the in the morning. So um, I didn't, uh, you know, get to, like, go to the, all the monuments and stuff like that. So it was nice to to definitely do that. All right. Cool. Um, and then the last question for you was, what did you drink that made you so hungover? <laughs> what didn't I drink, bro? <laughs> uh, you mix it all see. together? Tito's, Tito's vodka oh. was in there. Um, beer, uh, took a shot of uh, Jameson whiskey. Yeah, buddy. You know, it was a whole mixture, man. So you were getting after it. All right. Yep. Well, without further ado, uh, let's talk about these calls. So here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. We'll do the calls for this week first. Okay. And let's pick up what we missed towards the end. All right. Deal? Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Deal. What do we got? All right, well, let's start off with the main event of this weekend. Let's talk about Alexander Gustafsson. People have a lot of questions about him and where he could potentially go next. I mean, safe to say this is a career-defining defining moment it's for him, right? It's a huge moment for him. It's a huge moment. Not as big yeah. for Anthony Smith. Big for him, too. Exactly. Because yeah. a win or a loss, I mean, a win would be huge, and a loss would not be great, but not the end of the world. But for yep. Alexander Gustafsson, ooh, this is big. Exactly, yeah. So let's let's discuss that. Hey, Luke and Danny. Uh, my name is Amir, and I'm calling from Stockholm, Sweden. How are you there today? You go. Good. Awful. <laughs> awesome, you dunk. So, um, <laughs> Gustafsson's fighting Anthony Smith this week here in Stockholm. Um, I just want to ask you about uh, Gustafsson and what do you think uh, he goes from here? You know, win or lose on Saturday, because he's had uh, three title shots already. And, um, I mean, I don't mind seeing him get a fourth one because he's such an attorney fighter, but... Uh, yeah, what do you think he, his career should go from here? Win or lose? Thanks. Well, all right. So let's say he wins. Get, picks up a nice win over Anthony Smith, who's super game, super tough, obviously a top contender. 
what happens with Alexander Gustafson? I think he probably still has a couple more wins to get before they can even talk about a title shot. Yeah. Um, it would also depend on whether John Jones moves up and they create an interim one or if there's some other kind of scenario. But, like, this idea, like, these these guys are both coming off John Jones' losses. Mm-hmm. You know, a win here means nothing for getting back to him in any kind of short time frame. Long-term time frame, yeah, of course, it's obviously valuable. But... Um, to me, this is just about ascertaining, is he still the best light heavyweight not named Daniel Cormier and John Jones? Like, yep. does he still occupy that space? And he he very well may might. I, might. I, I don't, I literally, do, you know, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but, but if he loses, then the answer is pretty clearly not. And then you've got some real tough questions to ask. Because you could have said the same thing about Rumble, but Rumble moved on. Mm-hmm. So that he default kept that similar position. So... Yeah. It's a big, big, big fight. Huge fight. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I don't think there's any other storyline or, or anything else here in the sense of Gustafsson for the longest time has been the guy, you know, not named John Jones or, or Daniel Cormier, you know, but he, he's come so close several times. But uh, for sure, he's been a top contender. And that's very hard to do, man. That's very hard to do to stay at that level. And I think this this fight either, either keeps his status as, as who he is or, you know, it could potentially, um, I'm not saying the beginning of the end here, but, you know, it, it could steer his career into a different direction. So, And also, you got to remember, some of these fighters like RDA, they're like, look, if I don't think I can be champion, yeah. I don't want to keep doing this. Now, I'm not yeah. suggesting that's how he feels, but I don't, there's an open question about how, like, Clay Guida, I think, just wants to compete as long as he can compete. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with either worldview. I make no judgments about it. Whatever right, Whatever is right for both fighters. But I don't think that Gustafson's one of these guys who's like, I'll just compete as long as I can. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to compete at a certain level. And once that drops off, whatever that level might be, then he starts to make some different choices about it. Yeah, for sure. And I'll push back a little bit on on the title on the title picture. I feel like John Jones being so active and and him having a big name. Say say, for example, I don't know, Gustafson picks a nice win here, picks up another win over like a top guy, say like a Luke Rockhold at 205 or something. Um Dude, I think he's right back in there. And knowing John and seeing how he's operating now, I feel like with the title shots rolling and him just taking on the top contender every time, I think it's it's possible we might see a third fight. I can't Maybe. I can't say no because the division's so thin. Yeah. On the other hand, something just feels anticlimactic about it. I don't know, you know. Yeah, that's true. What happens what do you think happens if he loses? Do you think he title shot is is, is done for him or where do you think he he stands? If he, what happens to him if he loses? Yeah, if he loses, like, yeah. Like, let's say he gets blown out. Mm-hmm. Man, I will have to ask. I mean, I, I, I would worry about his long-term future, given what he has said, if that's the case. Yeah. On this show, he said if he can't beat guys like Smith, he might not want to do it anymore. I'm not that's making right. it up, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. All right, let's talk about another fighter who is no longer with the UFC. Oh, I think I know what this is. What's up, Luke? Uh, my name's Gabe from PA. Love the show. Thank you. I was just wondering if I could get your thoughts on Elias Theodoro being yeah. released from the UFC. Um, it's a little odd, you know. He was on. He's eight and three in the UFC. Uh, he was ranked number fifteen. He only had his one loss in the last two, three years, just this uh, past month. And uh, it's a little strange. I'm definitely not a fan, really, or going to go back and watch any of his fights anytime soon. But. It's just odd to release him, considering he was um, pretty much uh, doing his job, winning fights and everything. But I was just wondering if I could get your thoughts. Thank you. 
All right, well, to the fighters, I mean, I'm not blaming Elias for this specifically, but generally they don't want to work together for mutual benefit. So as a consequence, the promoter, when they decide they no longer have use for you, whatever that may be, this is what's going to happen. I don't advocate that as a worldview that we should love. I advocate that as a fact of existence that we have to acknowledge. Two different things. I'm not saying, oh, that's a great idea that the mm -hmm. UFC can just get rid of you whenever they feel like it. But here's the reality. They basically can. So if you guys in the, as a fighters don't want to do anything about that, this is going to keep happening, number one. Number two, everyone kind of got this one wrong, Danny. Yeah. People kept saying, oh, they got rid of him because he wasn't entertaining enough. Um, I think that's part of the story. Like, don't get me wrong. A fighter not necessarily offering a high entertainment quotient as a competitor. Mm -hmm. It's not like UFC brass didn't notice that. They noticed that and they probably didn't like it. But there's another layer to that, which is when he got to the UFC, I think he had, a, what, 11 fights in the UFC total, something like that? Yeah. When he got to the UFC, he's 30-31 now. When he got there, he was 25 or so. What did we talk about with Sage Northcutt? At some point, you're going to have 20 total fights. Yeah. Uh, he'll have in the next couple of years or so, depending on his competition schedule. He'll be about 25 years old. Sage Northcutt will be. You'll basically know what you have at that point. Mm -hmm. 20 pro fights, You either you're going to be something or you're not. That's what you're going to be, right? We either kind of know. I think what the UFC said was, yes, this guy wins, and he wins because he slows down the fight. He's hard to hurt. There's a lot of, the, competitively, it's a weird challenge and puzzle for guys. Yeah. He was three and one in his last four. The issue for me is, in addition to there not necessarily being a high entertainment quotient, the other problem was that as a prospect from 25 to 30, 31, there just wasn't a lot of technical maturation. They're willing, they're probably willing to say a prospect who could be very good, who's not all that entertaining right now, will tolerate it. But at 30, 31 years old, your time is up. Either you're going to develop into something they want to see or you're not. And at that point, if that's all that there is, which is a guy who's good, who can win fights, don't get me wrong, MMA media loves Elias because he's a very nice guy. He's smart. He's easy to engage. He advocates on behalf of important causes. We all like him. But if I'm sort of reading the UFC brass's mind, there wasn't enough entertainment and there wasn't enough technical development. If that's all you got, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. I think his style definitely didn't help him. Uh, you know, if he was, say, like a Mike Perry type or something like that, maybe we'd be having a different conversation. But I think I think you're on point about, you know, his maturation and where his, he's at. Because at, at the end of the day, like, the UFC's paying fighters to fight, right? But I think they also see that as an investment, right? Uh, and we see that in soccer all the time. You know, you get somebody that's, you know, 22, 23, and they might not have it all, right? But, like, soccer clubs are looking at what this what the kid could be in a few years, right? And, uh, you know, if, if you have the same issues or the same characteristics once, you know, that, that player is, is older, then all of a sudden you're like, wait, is it, is it worth, you know, the investment? Is it keep, keep, keep this guy on the payroll and we can just do the same thing for a younger guy that might turn out into something else. So, uh, yeah, definitely on that. But but it is weird because he is coming off a co-main. His first co-main event was his last fight. And so it kind of felt like there was some investment there. Um, and, you know, he you say what you want about his style, but, like, you know, he does have a, a pretty big following in the game. And people know who he is, you know. He's got one of the best Twitter games uh, sure, in MMA. Sure. So, uh, I don't know. It was a weird one. I don't Literally. think it's that weird. No? 
it's weird because he has a winning record, eight and three yeah. in the UFC. He was ranked too. He was ranked. I understand. Yeah. But like, dude, he loses to who? Derek Brunson loses to Tiago Santos, mm -hmm. and then Brad Tavares. What do you? What's the commonality there? It's the top ten guys at certain points yeah. in their career. In some cases, top five. If every time you bump up against that, you drop, they're just like, all right, well then this is all it's going to be. Came off a loss. They were ready to move on. I'm not. Again, I'm not advocating on behalf of that. I don't. I don't. I, right. I wish he still had his job. But just knowing what UFC management is like. This was, I would say, predictable, but not surprising. It is what it is, basically. It is what it is, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about somebody in the light heavyweight division who looks to be ready to return to, to action. Hey, Luke and Dan. Damn. This is Lance from South Bend, Washington. My South question Bend, is about Johnny Walker. So it looks like his shoulder's all healed up. And he is confident in fighting either John Jones or another top contender. Who would you like to see him fight next? Thanks, guys. So Johnny Walker recently did a, a media scrum in Vegas, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he said he was he, he's healing up. He's almost 100%. Uh, he needs about four four more months, and then he'll, he'll be good to go. Yeah, shoulder injuries are no joke, dude. Yeah, so potentially he could be fighting at the end of this year. Yeah. Who, who do you think he should fight? John Jones? Um, well, coming off of an injury, no. But mm -hmm. Lord knows, given how the division works, he you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, I would say probably the winner of this fight, maybe Dominic Reyes, depending on how Dominic Reyes stays active. When I say this fight, sorry, I mean Smith versus Gustafson. Yeah. Uh, or Dominic Reyes. That's what I would like to see. You're like, oh, you're killing off another contender. All right, man. Well, I mean, these guys have to fight each other at some point, right? Are we just going to sit here and just manicure all their careers, boxing style, or are they going to mix it up a little bit? So um, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say the, either one of, one of those two guys. You? I think, I think he needs a name that, you know, I mean, he beat some solid guys, got some impressive wins, but he has yet to beat a guy that's, that's established, you know, in the division mm -hmm. uh, that's been a top contender, that's been a title contender. So, you know, given the fact that, Smith and Gustafson, you know, have fought for the title. I, I wouldn't hate that at all. Um, but, you know, I think I, I would like to see that John Jones fight. So I, I wouldn't like him to have like a long road there. I know some people want to, you know, consider him, you know, a top prospect and want to groom him. But I think, you know, get one fight in there, beat a top guy and, you know, fight John Jones or whoever, whoever wins the title. You're just desperate for all these guys to fight John Jones yeah. tomorrow, yeah. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I want to see fights, man. I want to see title. Do you want to see these guys take some L's before they're ready? I mean, Johnny how, Johnny Walker's actually the how most. How can you prepare for John Jones? Yeah. It's like, well, you know what I'm Johnny Walker's the more interesting one. Yeah. Because to me, I could see him getting viciously KO'd off trying something and it not working, and then he leaves himself widely exposed. Yeah. On the other hand, I can also see John Jones, who's so tactical, so cerebral, sets everything up. You know, just being surprised by the donkery of Johnny yeah. Walker. Like, how do you prepare for a dude who just wants to moonwalk and then, you know, of course. do the backpack kid floss or whatever, yeah. and he's just knocking fools out that way? Like, how do you deal with that? I don't know what the answer is, you know? Also, I feel like, you know, John Jones, I have a feeling he's going to go up to heavyweight at some point. I don't feel like he has uh, a ton of fights left at light heavyweight. 
So I would like to see that fight. I would like to see how it looks. And also, the, the more Johnny Walker fights, the more of a chance there is for, you know, fight, fights to drag out longer and go to a decision. And I kind of like that mystique and that that mysteriousness that he has of, like, who who really is this guy? Because we have so little footage on him. You yeah, know? you know how that injury really derailed yeah. him because he was heating up so fast. Yeah. Um, not to say he couldn't. I think he'll probably, if, if he can keep winning, he'll just pick up where he left off. Yeah. But... It would have been nice for him to ride that momentum that he had really put together. Yeah. But he decided to, what was he doing? The worm? Is that what he did? The worm, man. <laughs> he messed up his shoulder. Bro. You ever had a shoulder injury? Nah, never. I mean, I have bad shoulders. Like, if I move my shoulders around just from wrestling, like, they'll start cracking and stuff. Do they hurt when they crack? Um, no, not so yet. So if they don't hurt when they crack, what they'll tell you is you're not, you're fine. Okay. There's nothing they can do about popping and cracking that doesn't hurt. Yeah. It's the popping and cracking that hurts that they have to then address. Uh, your boy has had just every shoulder, rotator cuff, tore it, labrum, tore it. Um, I've never broken any clavicle or anything like that, but I've had every problem. I have spent, I've been to physical therapy four times. Three yeah. of those times were for shoulders and two of those times were for surgeries. I've had every problem. Shoulder surgery. Shoulder surgeries. Yeah, dude. Like it, it is, yeah. it is, uh, it's a nightmare. It's yeah. a nightmare to deal with. Yeah, it's crazy. And he wants to continue doing the warm, man. If I was his camp, be like, yo. Bro, just, you know what I mean? Just um, just do the robot. You know, who, you know Ryan Jimmo used to do yeah. the robot. Rest, Rest in, in peace, peace, Ryan Jimmo. Yeah. And then he would do the splits. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's <laughs> that enough. super impressive. I feel like that's kind of yeah, enough, yeah, yeah. you know? Or you know what? Just roll his his video, you know? Just put it on the big screens after he wins yeah. with the worm. Like, there's, we saw it. It looks cool. It's like Johnny Walker. see it again. We believe you can dance. Exactly. You don't need to injure yourself to keep up appearances, buddy. It's insane. It's insane. All right, let's roll on, shall we? All right, let's talk about a streaming platform. Uh-oh. Hey, Luke, this is Tamir from New York. I was just wondering, do you think the UFC is planning to get rid of Fight Pass completely, how they're putting all these old fights on YouTube for free now when you used to only have to go to Fight Pass to really get the whole event? And whatnot. Thank you for your show. Thank you for all you do. And have a good day, Luke. Shots to New York City. Yo, what, what what's up with Fight Pass, man? I mean, it feels like with ESPN Plus, like you can get just about everything. I mean, they're still rolling out some prelims, but yeah. and, and there are other promotions on there, I guess. There are. I don't know. Free it just seems like it's losing its value a little bit. Shouts to uh, Jessica Penny. Uh, let's see. I think. Um, John Morgan and CM mm -hmm. Punk, Mr. Phil Brooks. Yep. They That's called right. the last CFFC. I love CFFC, one of the great regional promotions. Um, everyone, I haven't, haven't watched. No? No. no CFFC. But I'll catch my Invicta on there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, again, two promotions that provide a very valuable service, right? Yeah. For the uh, thing. Okay, so what is the value to Fight Pass? There's a couple of them. One is that the UFC is probably wanting to keep it around because you never know what could happen with ESPN and ESPN Plus and... Um, how the growth of streaming might affect certain platforms or not is here's the thing. Um, and anytime there is a new technology, Danny, that takes over the space, what ends up happening is there become a bunch of players that all get involved at once. And typically, though, not always, there ends up being a bit of a return to the consumer as they all compete with each other. But what, what also ends up happening as new technology emerges is that all those new players some of them begin to die out and then you begin to coalesce around a handful of strong players. There's actually a lot of legal theory about uh, antitrust in this regard. You know, why is it you only have a few tech giants? Well, because the rest of them all got put out of business. Um, why is it you have a few airlines? Partly there are some legal restrictions around that, but, you know, mobile carriers, uh, there's because there have, you know, we haven't broken up uh, a, a large telecom since, uh, you know, Bell, AT&T. 
So here's my point. The UFC is probably waiting to see what happens. Who are going to be the winners and losers in this space? We'll just keep Fight Pass here to see how that plays out. The second part is that no one seems to pick up on is zone. If the UFC stays in business with Fight Pass and they keep CFFCs and they mm -hmm. keep Muay Thai and Roy Jones boxing and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, e was, was Polaris on there or not? Uh, Polaris was on there. Okay. EBI's Combat okay. Jiu-Jitsu, everything else. Those are all properties that then can't sign with DAZN. It's simply a way to damage them from ever doing anything beyond Bellator or Combate, which, by the way, those are, those are substantial assets. Yeah. But it hurts them in terms of offering, and then KSW and some other ones, but it hurts them in terms of offering a wider array of potentially important content. Thirdly, it's a pipeline. The ones who perform at Invicta or at CFFC, yep. you're already on Fight Pass. It's a natural thing for the promoters to probably work with the UFC. I don't even know if this is ethical, but whatever, to then funnel them up all the way to the UFC. It's a It creates a direct pipeline, both with the consumer and the promoter uh, as well. So it's a lot of different things about what's the future going to be. Let's hurt a competitor and let's make sure we continue. There was a New York Times article. Do you remember this a couple months ago? Right when the UFC deal had you know matured maybe maybe three months ago. Regarding what? Uh, the, the future of the Ultimate Fighting Championship in the ESPN era. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they said was they haven't done enough to secure the future of new stars. And I'm like, well, you can say how fruitful the efforts are if you want. That ain't even close to true. You have the Ultimate Fighter, which is not a good show, but might be a good pipeline for talent recruitment. Yeah. You've got Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. You've got, that is now on ESPN Plus, right? Right, but here's the point. Not I'm, I'm merely discussing yeah. recruiting talent. I don't yeah. care where they go. I'm talking about talent recruitment. You got those two. You got Looking for a Fight, which is the all-time dumbest show in America, but nevertheless, they at least find some prospects. You have just the general policy of signing people. You also have these other pipelines from Invicta, from CFFC, from everything. The idea that the UFC is not making a full-throated effort to find the next generation of talent. They're no, building, an effort They're sure. building uh, performance institutes in China and Mexico. Yep. That is so demonstrably wrong. I couldn't believe the New York Times printed it. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, it's part of all these efforts. Yeah, that's why you get your news at MMAfighting.com. That's right. Yep. God damn it. <laughs> all right, let's talk about one. We, we didn't get to talk about one, and, uh, you know, some interesting the, things happen. The least transparent organization in MMA. The Wait, least but, transparent. I mean, we don't need to know weights, really. Like, Who does, right? <laughs> All right, let's talk about that. Hey, looking, Danny. This is Haroon from Madrid. I'm calling regarding Haroon. the recent defeats of Eddie Alvarez and Sage Northcott in 1FC. Uh, could it be that the company actually set up the fighters to have difficult matchups uh, in order to show the world that they have the quality to compete with the UFC? Um, what do you think? Is it unlucky beginnings for our UFC fighters or maybe a smart coup from uh, one FC? Thank you both for your hard work. Take it easy. Hopefully that man's an Atletico Madrid fan, uh, but no, there's uh, no chance. Probably. I mean, he doesn't hate, it, he, he doesn't hate his life. Well, it's a superior team at the moment. I'll just say that much. <laughs> okay. uh, look at the legal standings. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we cannot answer that in the sense of like, do we know the one actually set them up to lose? Obviously we, don't know and there's no way of speculating that but um we can at least answer this was it good for one that you know eddie alvarez and sage northcutt suffered losses um this idea that they would sign people at probably not cheap contracts to then spike them i'm not I'm calling it the world's dumbest theory but maybe the world's second dumbest theory behind flat earth like flat earth is at the top and then let's spike our expensive talent on their heads 
so that we can ruin our own investment? Probably number two. To answer the question in a more serious way, what they're asking is, is there any kind of uh, net, potentially net positive mm-hmm. reaction uh, or takeaway from Eddie and Sage losing? The answer to that question is yes. Which is to say, yes, there are other really competitive spaces inside MMA. The UFC does not have a monopoly on all the competitive guys. Well, they have the overwhelming majority of competitive fighters through all the divisions, but they don't have all of them. The other thing you could say is the UFC is really good about getting rid of talent when it becomes too expensive or they're no longer useful for them, um, or they're kind of past it a little bit. Eddie Alvarez has been in a lot of wars, man, and it'd be foolish to write him off. It'd be foolish not to notice. He's also been in a lot of wars. You have to kind of juggle that a little bit. Yeah. And in the case of, case of Sage, everyone gets real sensitive about him when you make some kind of declaration. Dude, we're going to know relatively soon whether he's going to blossom into something. If you're 25 years old and you're 20 fights deep in your pro career and you're still kind of struggling at that level, it's probably all you're going to be. Uh, people mm-hmm. would say, oh, that's the he's got 10 years left. Yeah, if you start at 25, you have 10 years left. If you start at 16, you don't. Um, or you start at 20 or 18, whatever. You kind of know what you're up against at that point. You have to develop at a certain level. At 25, 26, you should be... Again, you can get better past then. It's not that you're stuck there forever. Yeah. But you should have a pretty clear sense about what caliber of opponents you're able to take on. And you're you're going to know. So my, my hunch is that one probably overestimated uh, what Sage was ready for. And uh, the other one is Kaposa, Grabaka Hitman on Twitter. He was all over this. He thought that the Eddie Alvarez matchup was not a good one. That the other guy had a very strong chance of winning, and lo and behold, he did. So mm-hmm. one was predictable, and the other one was, in hindsight, kind of understandable. Now, I'm not burying Sage. Everyone's like, oh, you're burying him? No, I'm not burying him. Let's see what happens. Let's yeah. see what happens. But the point being here is, donks, uh, we're not too far from knowing. Yeah, I mean, there's also some late bloomers. Like, if you look at Anthony Smith, like, we thought we knew who he was, and then he really came into his own in the last Highly couple of years. Rare. And he's 30, but yeah. You don't see that often, right? At this point in time, like, you know, the percent, there's a big percentage drop off. And also, he was a regional, like, regional, regional fighter. That's true. He wasn't Sage in the, has been fighting elite. Yeah, he's, yeah. or, you know, at the highest. Or high level. High yeah. level, bottom rung of the high level, which is still very tough. Yep. And uh, the question is, is that best for development? Maybe if you had done the Anthony Smith route where you're fighting on these Nebraska cards. Yeah that can be better for a potential long-term development. Also, he had maybe. a weight cut issue too. So. Yeah, maybe. It's very interesting. I remember, uh, I think it was uh, Diakesi uh, recently said after he picked up a win over Joe Duffy, was it? He was like, yo, I thought about actually like, maybe it was good for me to go back to the regional scene. Like if the UFC kicked me out, maybe it was good to get back into the regional scene and, and that's probably better in, for my future. So yeah. there's something to be There's said nothing there. wrong we'll with find that. out. Yeah, I just nothing, think one needs to recalibrate how they're booking yeah. him and where they book him. Not in a ring and not against the decorated mm-hmm. striker. Yeah, but I, I do think it's in, in some sort of ways there are some positives to that because look, uh, for the longest time it was like anywhere a UFC guy would go, they would just destroy everybody else. Whereas, you know, these guys that that were pretty good at in the UFC go over to one, and all of a sudden, you know, they are coming short against you know one competition. So uh, it does speak volumes in, to the to the sense that like one does have some really good fighters. Sure, and, 
Yeah. I call them least transparent because, hello, they're not transparent even a little bit. On the other hand, this is the point I also make about one. Dude, it's good to have an Asian promoter that does what they do. I think I mentioned this on the MMA mm -hmm. Beat. They produce a lot of content. They find a lot of good fighters. They're giving opportunities to other fighters like a Demetrius Johnson and Sage and Eddie Alvarez. Misha Tate got hired by them to be an executive. Exactly. These are all positive developments. They, I, I mean, we got Ben Ask. Uh, the UFC, honestly. Got we got Ben Askren. The UFC got Ben Askren. And by the way, on, you know? their rule set is better than the one we use in North America. America. They allow Probably. um yeah. you know, he's the head of a down opponent and they allow or they don't have a 10-point must system. There are so many positive things you can say about one. I'm not bashing them in totality. Yeah. My only gripe yeah, there's is there's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of good things sure. about them. My only gripe is they just make a lot of weird ass decisions and there's no public accountability yeah. for it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about Habib and where he ranks as the best lightweight of all time. Ooh. Danny. Look, it's Habib Romani from the Bay Area. Yay, yay. I'm yeah, back yeah. again. Hey, one thing I, I've noticed and observed with a lot of media, MMA media, is they don't give Khabib enough credit. I hear he's one of the best, this, that. Why not just say it like it is? I think he's the best lightweight of all time. We just all give him a round of applause and just say it. I don't see what the big deal is. Anyway, I want to know you guys' feedback on that. Let the marathon continue. Yay, yay. I mean, could he be was he listening to E-40 in the background? Dancing some hyphy? Um, that's an interesting... So, I don't we're know not talking about the greatest. Eras. We're not talking about the greatest. We're talking about best. So, there's a big difference. What is the difference? Greatest, I think, you know, comes down to a lot of achievement, right? Like, I would say the greatest lightweight probably still BJ Penn, maybe. Because um, he won two titles in two weight classes? Because he won two titles and, and just achievement-wise. But skill-wise, I think, you know... I mean, it, it comes out with time, right? The longer we were in this game of MMA, like the harder it is for the uh, old school guys to, you know, stay in that chart of being the best, obviously just because MMA innovations and whatnot. But is he the best? I think I think the moment he fights Tony Ferguson, that's the moment we find out. Because if you look at both guys' resumes, they're pretty close. I mean, you could make an argument that Tony Ferguson has a better resume at this point. So here's the deal. Uh, in terms of overall uh, skill, he might be. Um, might be. Again, he was lacking in striking. Not as much as people say, but yeah. you know, he's not going to join um, Glory anytime soon. So mm -hmm. there's that. Um, I have trouble comparing eras in part because I haven't thought that, about the question very deeply. But the other one is that you know MMA is so different now than when, when BJ Penn was its best lightweight. Yeah. I think for me, as I try to noodle this through... The one holdup for me in declaring him, even though this might not even be fair, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking in real time. Mm -hmm. I need to see him face more of his better contemporaries. The Dustin Poirier fight is important. Very important. I need to see him fight Tony Ferguson. Mm -hmm. You know, you beat those two guys, and I don't even know who could touch him at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be, so, you know, you beat Connor and everyone else before, and then you beat Dustin, who is like the best he's ever been, still in his 20s. And then you beat Tony Ferguson, who's in his mid-30s, but... We all know what a crazy-ass fighter he is and how talented Super he is. Super good, yeah. At that point, you begin to say, well, geez, man, this is a this is an open-and-shut case. And it might already be. I guess I'm just thinking the reason why we maybe haven't anointed him as much is just that issue. It's like, let's see him we beat need to the— see more. Yeah. I mean, he just won the title, like, what, two fights ago? Yeah, and remember, there's times where he had a rib injury, and he was like, oh, I'm going to be out forever, yeah. and I might not even come back, and blah, blah, blah. Let's—I just feel like— if people haven't gotten on board with it, maybe one, we're sleeping. We could be sleeping. We could be sleeping. Sleeping on Hyphy because it sucks. Sleeping on Habib because we're not thinking. <laughs> the other one is uh, the contemporaries issue. I think that that has yeah. probably held him back a little bit. 
He's on the verge, though, of, of becoming the best and the greatest, I, I feel Oh, like. yeah. Dude, un, un, undefeated at 27-0 yeah. in the toughest division in MMA. I think he goes 30-0. He's probably the greatest. That's, I mean, that's just one of the most absurd things I've ever yeah. seen in my life. He's definitely the best grappler I've ever seen, probably, in MMA. And that you could say, oh, what about George St. Pierre? Yeah, ahead of him. Now, George St. Pierre was more of like a submission-based guard passer. Yeah. But... In the way that Habib, Habib has... Habib just comes off more dominant. Well, also, Habib has changed best practices. Yeah. Right? Habib is so good that other fighters from other divisions, by the way, not just his division, have looked at his wrist control, his yeah. passing style. The Dagestani handcuff, right? Who coined that? Because that's been rec recently, like, surfacing. I don't know. Maybe and, uh, BJJ Scout. I don't know. That was pretty good. And they've looked at that and they've said, whoa, dude, like, this is the next level of control. Yeah. And now you're watching everyone, if not copy him, take a lot of things from him. I Like, you couldn't do that with St. Pierre because a lot of it was just what he did. Dude, this guy is innovating in a way that almost no one yeah. else has in that space. Yeah. That is different. By far the best grappler to ever compete at 155 pounds. Well, that is BJ Penn, right? So it's like, what kind? Because BJ Penn was the first guy to win the Mundials with a gi. It's a little bit different. Like It is. It's a hard, no, it's a hard question. People, here's the thing. Yeah, it is tough. There's fans watching being like, BJ Penn, really? Dude, if you were not around for BJ Penn's prime, you, <laughs> that's why it's so, it's so. You just can't imagine. You, yeah, you cannot believe so how good. good he was. You so cannot I, believe. I clearly remember I was a big fan of Diego Sanchez. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of Diego Sanchez. This was before I was working in MMA media. And I remember, remember he was killing it at 170 and he drops down to 155. Yeah. And at that time, BJ Penn was the guy. Yeah. But then you had Diego Sanchez, you know, and, and then Diego Sanchez get, gets past Joe Stevenson. And I really thought I'm like, yo, this is the guy to, to dethrone BJ Penn. And then BJ Penn destroys him. Um, it, one of the nastiest cuts we've seen in MMA. And it's just like what, what BJ Penn was doing back then was unbelievable. Um, so that's why it's just a little bit sad to see, you know, where he is at now. Um, that's why we talk about it so much. Yeah, but if you guys haven't seen it, go back to UFC Fight Pass and, 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 and look at some of his title fights back in the day i mean also on that card um frank mir fought chuck congo mm -hmm. and with one of the nastiest overhand punch drop to a guillotine and they choked them out yeah, yeah. one of the best ones i've ever seen yeah it's great all right let's talk about uh i guess another lightweight maybe welterweight i don't know hey luke this is kevin calling from boston massachusetts uh, my question for you today is about nate diaz so I'm a huge Diaz Brothers fan. It's great to see Nate coming back. But what's really at stake for him in this fight with Anthony Pettis? Do you think he stays at 170? Or do you think he goes back to 155 with either a win or a loss? Um, thanks for taking my call. And I love your work. Thanks. This is a weird one because I don't really have... I can't really say for certainty what's at stake for him. A title shot? Nate Diaz? Maybe. I don't know. Nate Diaz? Yeah. Yeah, we've. I, I've talked to some people close to Nate. The sense I get is he does want to compete. Did you see what he put out today? Uh, no, but I did. Well, I see it. I saw it pop up on, UFC, on Twitter. But UFC uh, put out a vid, highlight vid. It was cool vid. By the way, this is so yeah. funny. If you guys didn't see this, so UFC put out a highlight vid of him. You know, saying cool things. He's just a cool guy, saying yeah, cool things cool. and whatever. You know, and then the whoof, ninja stuff that whole bit, saying uh, he's back. Nate reposted it because it is a cool vid. Yeah. But then it goes, right I never left. I never went anywhere. I wasn't gone, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so here's my thought on this and talking to folks close to him and, and getting a sense of like what they're thinking. He Apparently, Nate wants to be active. Mm -hmm. Like he wants to fight a bunch. 
Hopefully that's the case, man. No, no, they're quite adamant about it. Like they're like in ways you probably won't believe. Like, well, he, I mean, th- that's one thing that he wants to be active. The other thing is how he does with the UFC. You know, like that relationship is so wise. damaged. It's so Ho- damaged. Hopefully they're at a place right now where we just see a bunch of fights from him. Yeah. So the issue yeah. is, um, my thought is, if he wins, he's going to look for title shots and or Connor or big fights. Like, give him a big fight at one seventy. Give him a big fight at one fifty five. Just something where it's a great deg- degree of visibility. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he's going to be probably pickier than they're letting on. So I think it's just going to be either title shots and other weight classes, Connor, or something else kind of interesting on the in-between. But, like, getting in the queue and then just doing what, like, Cerrone does. No, there's, he's th- in the money weight division, There's man. no chance of yeah. that happening. None. Yeah, he's not. He's but not they tell that. me he wants to be active, man. They tell me, like, yeah. they, he's actually quite serious about fighting on a regular basis. But what's more likely? He gets a title shot at lightweight or at welterweight? Honestly, whatever. They try to get him to fight for 170 goals. And they said that they didn't give him a fight against Tyron Woodley. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They offered him a fight against Tyron Woodley, and then he put up a demand for how much money he wanted, which, by the way, if I told you, you would laugh at how little it is. And they said no. So that is is the reality. They can say whatever they want to the media. That is a fact. Um, So I don't know. I mean, this is the other part. It's like maybe Nate does want to be active. But if you're – like the only reason they're fighting Pettis – is because the two teams worked it out yep, and they exactly. figured it out. Now maybe he can keep doing that. Like, what, like whatever <laughs> he, it he takes. He might be his own matchmaker. From I'm now like Rich on. Piano. Yeah. Whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah, for real. I I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Rest in peace, Rich Piano. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, another question. Then we move on to the new batch. Or actually, you know what? I'm gonna save this question so when I go to call Alexander Gustafson, you can you can answer. Okay. Because it's more towards you. Okay. So Uh-oh. let's talk about. Um, the other questions that we left off last week, which are still pretty pretty relevant, I think. All right. Yeah, this is David Sandoval calling from Richmond, California. I just wanted to know what you think uh, the win over Kevin Lee does for Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, he was on a bit of a skid, but he looked absolutely great in that performance. And just wanted to hear your thoughts on how you think it played out and what will happen for him in the future. What's next for RDA, man? So the good news is it put him back um, in a winning space, which was important. I don't think he's ever dropped three in a row. A couple times he's dropped two in a row. Yeah. So it was good. I don't know how much it does for him in terms of like bumping him up the queue. He was already kind of third. Maybe he gets he him. stayed third, man. That win didn't really it didn't, do it didn't, anything. It didn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a needle mover in that yeah. regard. Uh, but to me, it was just so impressive. I've talked about it. I've never seen a guy have this many tough fights in this many weight classes with this many bad weight cuts and not be shopworn. Yeah. It's un- he's like 36, 37, un- something like that. I'm not sure how old he is, but it's unbelievable what now. a competitor he is, man. It's incredible. My thought is like, it depends when he wants to come back and who's available. Obviously, that's the big consideration all the time. Uh, Wonder Boy says he's eyeing a fight with Darren Till. I wonder how he might feel about a fight against um, Dos Anjos. I never know if it's Dos Anjos or Dos Anjos. I don't, I, all these years, RDA. Uh, so I, I guess whoever's in that space, I just don't feel like it meaningfully moved him towards a title shot. Tyron Woodley's probably going to be looking for a new opponent. That might be an interesting one because remember, he already fought Lawler yeah. and beat him. Yeah. So RDA versus Tyron Woodley is kind of an interesting test as well. Like, how, I, I, but folks, forget this. Tyron Woodley is a bad mm-hmm. mamma jamma. He's also 37. It's a yeah. relevant question to wonder, 
How 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 much longer can he be elite? Maybe maybe yeah. a little while longer, but we need to we need to find that out. RDA is thirty four, by the way. 34. I don't hate that fight at all, but it is a weird spot because you know he's ranked third. Above him is Colby, who's probably gonna fight Usman next. Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. Um. Then Tyron Woodley, but how I don't know how bad is his injury. Who Woodley? Yeah. I think it's just I don't think he tore or broke anything. Yeah, I think nothing, it's more like chronic, major. which mm -hmm. means it just takes time to heal. Yeah. Um. So if depending on how they're feeling, like if RDA wants to wait a few more months. Timelines might work out, man. Yeah. I say that's the fight to make. By the way, by the way, mm -hmm. and I know, look, I don't like the filthy animals thing that Colby Covington does. I just don't like it. And I've told him this personally. Yeah, like, I don't like it. It ain't for me. However, I want to send a shout out to Colby um, because I tried to do something with him this past week. It didn't work out where folks don't realize this. As I said before, it's Memorial Day. Like, Everyone's like, oh, they, I get messages on Instagram. These are very nice messages. Don't get, don't misunderstand me. Yeah. They're like, thank you for your service. I'm like, save it for Veterans Day because this is about Memorial Day. This is about those who have died making the ultimate sacrifice. Colby Covington, it turns out, I got a call from the Navy. They wanted to set some things up. Uh, the USO didn't call up Colby Covington. He called up the Navy and their public affairs department and asked if he could fly himself to New York for Fleet Week and meet with sailors and Marines who were here as part of that. And they agreed. He didn't collect a dime, uh, paid his own way, lodging and transportation, and met with them on various battleships, destroyers, in the street, did an exercise with them in Times Square, blah, blah, blah. And I come to find out he's been doing this, not for Fleet Week, but for various other bases in the area. Yeah. Uh, or in the uh, contiguous United States, he's been doing this for years. They haven't paid him one time to do it. There's a lot of people who do a lot of jibber-jabber about how much they care about America's armed forces. Just throw an Instagram post. Yeah, and what they do is they vote for people who don't do any reforms for the VA. They don't really know anybody who's ever been in the military. They themselves have never been in the military. They don't know anything about veterans killing themselves in parking lots to bring attention to their situation. They don't show up to Walter Reed. I've been to Walter Reed. I went to the old Walter no. Reed. I've been to the new Walter Reed. Uh, uh, you know, they don't ever put their money where their mouth is. I don't love everything that Colby says when he promotes a fight, I cannot name another UFC fighter who has ever shown as much respect to our armed forces, both the fallen, the veterans, and the active service yeah. members as Colby Covington. No one else is going to say it because the MMA media never wants to give him credit. I will give him credit. I want everyone to know I am saying this because it needs to be said. Yeah, you got to respect that. Or you don't, but I'm going to. So there you go. All right, let's talk about Kevin Lee. Um, I feel like this question was obviously relevant right after he lost, but I feel like it's more relevant now because there's some other questions popping up about, you know, where he should be training and whatnot. Hi, this is Justin calling out of Houston, Texas. Uh, love the show. Um, since did. Kevin Lee lost to RDA, how do you, where do you feel he goes from here? Um, anyway, love the show, guys. Swish a house up in Houston, Texas. Uh, magnificent about his cash. Uh, let's see. Um, 281-330-8004. Who's, whose number is that, Danny? Who's? 281-330-8004. I have no idea. Mike Jones. Remember Mike Jones? Still tipping? Still tipping on fofos? Nope. Wrapped in fofos? All right, well. What year is that? Um, 2004-ish, 5-ish. Mm, that's when I moved to the U.S. Is that right? Yeah. 2004. Slim Thug. You don't know Slim Thug? Paul Wall? Swish, oh, yeah. Swisher no, House? Wall, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, 
All right, so I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it was about Kevin Lee. Did you hear what yeah. Rogan said about it? I thought it was actually kind of interesting. Uh, talking to Brandon Schaub? About Kevin Lee, though. Yeah. Rogan's theory, you know, and Rogan's got a full three hours of airtime. So, like, yes. like me, I have to do an hour after, like, three show, three hour show after this. 90% of the things I say on my next show are going to be wrong. You understand? Like, <laughs> it's just not possible to say right things all the time. Uh, and I know that better than anybody, or most anyway. But he did say something I, th I really thought was, I, I don't know if it's right, but I thought it was smart and interesting. Yeah. He thinks that Lee just never really recovered, not so much as a human, but as a fighter with the loss to the connection to Robert Follis. Yeah. And that he needs a, like a guru to guide him like a, a, a Duke Rufus, mm -hmm. or he had specifically noted Faraz Zahabi. You know, Faraz worked with George St. Pierre, who had a bit of a punch you, take you down, grind you out style, which, hey, like that's exactly what Kevin Lee does. Now, I don't know exactly if that's what Kevin Lee needs. I'm not in the camp. I it's just hard for me to understand what's missing. Hard to call that a bad idea from Joe Rogan. I actually thought that was really kind of interesting. What did you make of it? Yeah, I, I thought the same. And look, Kevin Lee is 26 years old, so he's kind of like similar to the Sage Northcutt space where like, yeah, there's still tons of room for him to like make changes and improve and, and become, you know, a champion. But like, but he's you got to start making those corners. changes yeah, now, yeah, man, because yeah. at 26 and you start getting close to 27, 28, all of a sudden you're a year or two away from 30, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's very interesting, and I'd like to see him go to another camp, to be honest, just to just to get some new looks and and, and see, you know, and he doesn't have to do. Uh, remember, um, he doesn't have to do a full move. Just just go out there and see what it's like. Remember, Sage Northcote was doing that early on. He went to TriStar. I don't know if he ever went to Albuquerque. He might have, but then he went to Team Alpha Male. He tried a few spots. Uh, oh, he was also in Florida. He tried a few spots until he was like, okay, Team Alpha Male is 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 where is that for me? Mm. So I'd like to see that from, from Kevin Lee, some experimentation and, you know, see how he feels with, with other coaches and other methods, you know? Yeah, I don't know what ails him. It's, all, it's, all, it's mm -hmm. always weird. I mean, like, like MMA, no, we know that, that when his coach passed away, that was, that was big. Had to be big. MMA yeah. fans always ask me, like, oh, what's wrong with their camp? And it's like, well, the results aren't what they are supposed to be. So clearly something is off. Yeah. But how do you determine that if you're not there to watch the camp? Like, you need exactly. to know, uh, unless the camp has, like, many fighters that are all doing incompetently, uh, then I guess you could make a generalization. But, like, dude, his yeah. coaches, they're good. Like, Dewey Very Cooper, good. that's a good-ass yeah. coach, man. So it's it's hard to, it's you know what I mean? It's, I don't. Yeah, there's it's, also, it's a weird there could one. be a million factors. It's a like, weird we, one. We don't know. But, like. We will only know until he starts trying different things, right? right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe he goes to different different camps and see, and he's the same fighter. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, I, or sometimes I realize, you know what? Um, maybe I'm best at home. Pettis did the rounds, and he circled back to Duke Rufus. You know. Exactly. So who yeah. knows? Yeah. All right. Well, we talked a little bit about Woodley, but let's talk about Lawler because he's the other side of the of that equation. Wabi -wabi. Hey, Luke Danny Nino from Washington Township, New Jersey. Got a question here for you. With Tyrone Woodley out of his fight with Robbie Lawler, who do you think should pick up uh, the fight? Do you think uh, it should be Darren Till, Leon Edwards, uh, Ponzinibbio? I just want to know your thoughts. All right, so this is a better question for you because I, you know me, I don't like playing matchmaker that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that one, I, any of those seem fine to me. I never, yeah. I never get moved by these questions, you know? You know, I don't have a specific person i'd like to you know single out a specific fighter but what i would like to say is that i'd like to see robbie lawler take one of the young guys you know what i'm saying like with with, Ty with tyron woodley like that fight was fine but I, I don't think 
I think I'd like to see him either against Vicente Luque or Leon Edwards, like one of those guys that deserves and like needs, you know, uh, a big name opponent. And look, either it puts one of those guys up as, as far as like them becoming a top contender or we just know what we've always known, that Robbie Lawler's super game and he's still in it. So, um, you know, I'd like to see that. So I think I'm more leaning towards the Leon Edwards, Vicente Luque, those kind of guys. But look, Mike Perry, that wouldn't be bad either. That'd actually be kind of fun. So... All right. All right. Um, you want to talk about Pico or Rosemary Yunus? Pico. All right. That's more it. interesting at the moment. Hey, Luke and Danny. This is Kurt from Connecticut. My question is about Aaron Pico. Mm-hmm. Um, it was recently announced that Aaron Pico had switched camps to Jackson Wink. Um, he's also coming off that bad knockout loss, Henry Corrales. And it seems as though he's already signed on for a fight against Adam Bullock, who's like 12-0 sub prospect himself. Uh, what do you think about the quick turnaround for Pico, especially after the camp switch? I figured he would have waited a while. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. This is one of the most interesting stories so, in MMA right now. I feel like it's been almost – it's been about six months because he lost in January. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't feel like it's that 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 quick of a turnaround. The only thing I would say it's kind of quick is the fact that he switched camps and all of a sudden, you know, right right after the news uh, broke that you know he's now with with Jackson Wink, uh, you know, now he has a fight lined up. That's I guess that's the only thing I would say. But as far as recovery wise from from a knockout, it's been six months. I feel like eh, that's a good amount of time. No, there has been a criticism of Jackson's um, that I never shared. I mean, every camp is. Uh, not perfect. And so there's mm-hmm. always one thing or the other you could say. I remember when John Jones went over to Jackson's and they had said they had taken the fun and spontaneity out of John. So, for example, John did all these incredible spinning elbows and whatnot. Right. Yeah. And he had said he learned them from YouTube, you know, <laughs> and um, they were, he, he had used them to great effect in fights. In fact, it was that spinning elbow that ended up being a bit of a Hail Mary in the Gustafson fight that probably right. saved him uh, in that fourth round. And um, so there is something to be said for letting a fighter be who they are. On the other hand, the reason why that criticism is hollow to me is because you just can't argue. You just cannot argue that John was a better striker when he walked in the door or that that was a better style for him long term than what he has now. He has such command of the fundamentals. And what I mean by that is the most important parts of the game. I've I've talked about it ad nauseum on the Monday Morning Analyst that uh, it was such a massive benefit from him. Now, is there a case to be made that maybe they could have kept some of the funner parts of what he was doing as a more honoring his natural instincts? Maybe you could make that. But in general, what they took was a sort of wild animal and and they refined him into a very sharp sword. Yeah. Pico, no. hold on, let me finish. Yeah, Pico seems like the guy who could really benefit from that. Mm-hmm. He seems like a guy who's got every bit of ability in the world. You ever met Aaron Pico, by the way? No, no, I have not. Maybe the nicest guy in MMA, and that's saying something. Yeah. Super nice kid, devoted, just wants to work and be good. And I, I did think Antonio McKee was a super underrated uh, coach, but maybe not the right one for him. He needs somebody that's going to take that wildness and refine it sharpen it, remove some of the more toxic elements of it, and turn him into a sharp sword. Mm-hmm. That's what he needs. To me, you know, moving to ATT, I'm sure that would have been good. Moving to AKA, maybe that would have been good. I could have thought of no better place for him to go than Jackson's. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. Um, but do you think this is a, a quick turnaround for him? And also, what yeah, do you think only, about his that's opponent? That's the only part. Adam like Borix is legit, man. He's Borics undefeated. A, yep, he's a good fighter. That's yeah. the only part that I'm like. Well, I would have liked to seen you work on your game a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like that part. I'll be honest. I don't like that part. But the move to Jackson's, it's not just the move. move yeah. It's the right kind of move. That's exactly what he needs. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, hopefully he's had enough time to acclimate. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I, I do, I would like to see him against just donked at this point. Like, Yeah, he needs a tune-up. Yeah, he needs a, a tune-up. Adam Borks is not a tune-up. Nope. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens there. All right, let's talk about the fans. This is a bit of a long question, so I'm going to have to cut it short. But Da fans. Hey, guys, this is Chris from Glendale, Arizona. Hey, just Armenia. wondering if you guys have sensed no, that's a California. falling interest among the hardcore fan base. I've been watching the UFC since 2007. Um, consider myself a hardcore fan, watch every card every weekend, get all the pay-per-views, that kind of thing. I just find myself losing interest. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the first time I didn't watch the prelims, uh, then last weekend I didn't watch the prelims. I was going to go to a bar to watch the fights and just kind of went down the card and I just didn't, um, didn't find it that interesting. Um, and even this weekend, probably won't watch it. Um, just finding myself losing interest in it. I think obviously the oversaturation is a big thing, but even the stuff with Conor McGregor, I mean, I don't even really care if he ever comes back, uh, just kind of a sideshow. To me, yeah, and I'm I just, right here. First of all, I really don't believe him that he doesn't really care if Conor McGregor comes back. Yeah, he, I guarantee feels, you. But, but the point is, he feels that way right now. I, sure. I agree. In the end, he would come back because but. of all this, you know, business stuff and like, you know, all the waiting. But when that man has a date and an opponent, this caller is going to buy the pay per view. Okay. So, how do you feel about his question? I feel like I think there is a misplacement of of perhaps. The words we're using as far as like hardcore is losing interest, I I still think the hardcore fans are, you're always going to be for the most part a hardcore fan. I just think there's so much MMA now that you just can't watch all of it. So you're going to pick and choose, but don't feel like you're not a hardcore if you're not watching every single event. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think we should just call it what it is. Yeah, of course the hardcores have left. I've been doing this long enough to know exactly that's what's happened. Um, and I've been watching, uh, well, I, I didn't see till UFC 4. I was in Blockbuster, so I had missed the first four or five. And then I cycled back around uh, college, so let's say 2000, or 2001 or so, and then really got into it around uh, 03, 04, um, and then started writing about it, you know, around that time. Well, a little bit yeah. later, but you get the idea. So, like, I was there pre-Tough Boom and then post-Tough Boom, all the people I watched MMA with all are gone now. They're yeah, all gone. True. And a yeah. new generation. My, my brother was a huge fan and he doesn't really right. watch. So it. then a new generation came with Connor yeah. and Rousey and John Jones. John was a bit of a bridge, but certainly with Connor and Rousey, they all came and they're cycling out now too. So the question is who's going to be the next one to bring that up? I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, dude, the UFC, folks don't realize this. The UFC used to have a product where they didn't want you to pick and choose. If it was a UFC product, they wanted you to watch it. And eventually they said, we don't really care. You can pick and choose. In fact, Dana White was explicit. If you don't like it, don't watch it, which doesn't seem like the best sales pitch, but it's the one he made. And so the fans listened and they tuned out. There is just no doubt about it that we have lost two generations of fans. We've since replaced them with some other ones uh, and it's gotten more mainstream. And I think as a consequence to a degree more accessible, but yeah, dude, like being a hardcore fan in this sport, you are asked to do a lot. Yeah. A lot of your time, a lot of your money, a lot of just your your bandwidth. 
and people burn out and then they leave and they oftentimes mm -hmm. they don't come back. We just replace them with a new generation. Yeah. So what he's talking about, I have seen, it's like the matrix. The, the Neo was the, the seventh anomaly. I have seen that anomaly several times through. This is the natural process. I just keep watching because this is how I pay my mortgage, mm -hmm. but I've been burned out on MMA. <laughs> <laughs> for, for years, for yeah. years, uh, I find different ways to entertain myself. I love the but, I love the breakdowns. I love the big fights. But yeah, dude, course. it's designed to burn you out, so people yeah. get burned out. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to redefine what a hardcore is because I feel like some people might not feel like, oh, I'm no longer a hardcore because I'm not there watching every single event. It's kind of impossible to to watch every single event and keep up with all the news. I mean, I, I do this for a living, and there's times that like you know I miss news and things. You know, it's just like yeah, but he's there's the, so he's much the, going on. He's you know? talking less about a classification, the caller, I'm assuming. Yeah, um, and more about his own personal burning desire. Dude, there were times where I just couldn't sleep at night thinking about the next day's fights. I sleep like a baby these days. Well, except for my baby, I sleep like a baby. But you get the idea, like yeah, uh, you know, uh, okay, when you know if John has a fight against Cormier, I will be thinking about that for for weeks or uh, you know something else like yeah. that you know what but but the point being is um dude you have to call up we cannot sugarcoat this absolutely generations of fans have been burned out of it mm. the UFC's idea is let's just dump the guts on the uh, on the <laughs> let's dump the guts on the white owl and then just you know restock it that's just the whole yeah it's a whole idea. But I, I feel like we're also speaking about the moment. Wait, wait till those summer fights roll out, man, because we got some really good bookings coming up. Yeah, but Jose, then all you, of a sudden, you don't buy, you don't buy that they, they've gone? Like, no, yeah, yeah, so, 100%. Some, I mean, some it, come back intermittently. Yeah. Uh, new generations come. Yeah. But, like, dude, all the people I used to have UFC parties with, they don't, not only do they not come over, they don't watch MMA anymore. Yeah. That's a real thing. No, yeah, I, I agree thing. with that. It's true. But I, when, I, when a big fight rolls out, if you're a hardcore and you're a fan of MMA, or at some point you were a fan, you'll come back. You'll come back. You might not be there for the, you know, UFC on ESPN Plus cards, but you'll be there for the big fights. And also, people always ask me, like, oh, do you have a favorite fighter? I used to when I watched less and I didn't cover it yeah. for um, for money. Uh, but I'm honestly, I have, a, I think I have a more sustainable relationship to MMA now. Before I like needed MMA and I loved it and it was like this thing I was like all in on. Yeah. And that you can't keep that. It's not possible. So to me, I have this. Like, for example, like the, um, I have a view that troll culture has mm -hmm. overtaken MMA culture. Yeah, it's big. And in particular on social media, I think actually social media has damaged the sport. Uh, it's a longer argument I'd like to make, but I, I really believe that. So all of these beefs, they're good for the game in the sense that they facilitate the kinds of actions that make the beast work. Yeah. But they're bad for attachment. And what's good for attachment is, in my humble opinion, you don't have to watch my breakdowns, watch Dan Hardy's, watch The Weasels, watch um, Jack Slack, watch whoever. Falling in love with fighting is much more sustainable than falling in love with MMA. And yeah. in particular, the culture around MMA today. Or fighters, because they come and go, you know? Fighters, too. But if and you're again, into MMA, if, you know, if that's what you're into, like... And they'll break yeah, your sure. heart, too, you know? So yeah. Very true. All right, let's talk about Stipe versus Cormier. Okay. Or should I say Cormier versus Stipe, actually? Hey, what's up, Luke and Danny? My name's Chris. I'm calling from Montana, great old Northwest. Anyways, uh, my question is, with this Stipe and DC fight coming up, if Stipe wins, does that uh, leave a rubber match? Does DC want to 
try to break the tie, or does he retire with a loss? Does he fight again like somebody like uh, Nganu or something like that? That'd be crazy to see, right? I think there has to be a rubber match. All right, guys, big fan of the show. Take care. Yeah, absolutely there has to be a rubber match. Uh, of that, there could be no doubt. Here's what I'm waiting for, Danny. <laughs> yeah. What if DC wins again, and it's very close, but, you know, DC wins? I bet you there are going to be people saying there should be a third fight. I, 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 I'm calling it now. I'm not yeah. saying that's the way the D fight's going to uh, go. Stipe will sit out for six months, and then dude. we'll skip another contender, dude. and they'll make that fight happen. No, again. thank you. If, uh, you know, now, if Stipe wins, rubber match no, it up. No, man. I, I really, dude, uh, Stipe fans will say that because they're Stipe fans, but I think... I think if 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 Cormier beats Stipe, it's two in a row, man. It's two in a row. Like that's done. Here's the thing: this, done. this is what folks forget about the first one. That fight was signed in January. They didn't fight till July. You had six, seven months to get ready for it, and you know you lost inside the first round. There was no case for a rematch. People were like, oh, he was the winningest of all time, but at three, which is not exactly. which is better than everyone else. Yeah. I, I grant you, but it's not some like sure. it's not some like Anderson Silva like streak. Exactly. And it, and the, he had tons of prep time, and he lost by stoppage in the first round. There was no case for a rematch whatsoever. Yeah. Now, if you lose a second time where you've had all this time to prepare and think and plot and plan, and you lose that one, don't anybody out there dare say. And also unless, the, unless there's like a crazy judging call. And also the, the, the circumstances in which this fight is being made. It's not like he went out there, picked up a couple wins, and all of a sudden you're like, hmm. Maybe maybe Stipe can beat him, you know. It's, yeah, he sat out. He sat out. Which is so, fine. That's his call. But yeah, it's. I mean, it was it was a hundred percent the right call to make because at the end of the day, he was the guy that got the title shot, right? Um, well, that's debatable, but okay, I, I see your point. He got what he wanted, right? Yes, he got. It was a gamble. It was a gamble. It was a gamble, it and off. it paid off. It paid off. So. He did. I mean, I guess in my opinion, he did the right but thing. But I'm saying it's like a Rose and Joanna uh, situation where she gets smoked in the first round. They redo yeah. it. It was close, but that. But Joanna had been champion for a while. Okay, man. but I'm saying, yeah. but they redid it, yeah. and you, uh, it was much closer the second time. But Rose yeah. clearly ended up taking it. I don't want to hear a peep about one after that. Now, if Stipe yeah. wins, then we can figure something else different. Of course. And by the yeah. way, he might because Stipe is really he good. Might. But. And then all of a sudden, you know, third fight could be. I think it would be the fight to make, you know, as this caller notes, for sure. All right. Uh, one more, and then you want to call Mr. Gustafson? Yeah. Actually, I'm, this is going to be all you. I'm going to, meanwhile, call Gus, and then, you know, if we need to roll out another one, we, we will. Okay. What's up, Danny and Luke? This is Clinton from Phoenix, and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on UFC 238. The UFC is literally marketing Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone as the people's main event. This card has not one but two title fights on it, and I feel like it's almost disrespectful to Cejudo, Marias, Shevchenko, and I for them to be telling the fans you should be more hyped about Ferguson and Cerrone than the two fights that are coming after it that have belts on the line. Why would they go this route rather than just having Ferguson and Cerrone headline a card so it could have the spotlight that it deserves? Tell me your thoughts. Looking forward to the show. Love you guys. Thanks for everything you do. So uh, it's an interesting question. First of all, if they're I didn't are they specifically calling it the people's main event? If so, it's a little bit of uh, gimmick infringement from Ariel, but um, or not from him, but uh, of him that they'd be taking from him. Excuse me. Uh, if that's the case, I don't know if that's what they're doing. I have not see. I don't pay attention to the marketing. So if that's, I'm a little bit removed from that one. But hello, like. I don't know that that's better than the main event, but it's probably better than the co-main event, at least on paper. Dude, Tony Ferguson is 
Okay, I mean, um, he had the interim belt, but like in terms of like the overall, the the uh, the lineal belt, he's maybe the best UFC fighter to never hold a lineal belt. I mean, he's an he's a he's a a, a, a phenomenal talent versus Cowboy Cerrone, who has more wins than any other UFC fighter ever. That is a special contest. That the fact that the other ones have belts, you need to respect that. You need to acknowledge that they're higher on the card as a consequence. But in terms of your marketing, why why wouldn't you go with your strongest hand? That's a much stronger hand as a marketing proposition than Shevchenko versus I. I don't think it's disrespect. I think it's about what works. We kill the UFC for improper promotion all the time. And yeah, you would want to see them respect the, the co-main event enough that those don't get left behind. Okay, fine. But lead with the strongest spear, man, like the sharpest sword that Ferguson, Cerrone, Right up there, well, it depends on your perspective a little bit about Cejudo and Moraish, but yeah, that's one of the better, dude, that's a, that's a, that's a phenomenal contest. I, I would be a little bit upset if they were kind of pushing that one to the back burner. Now, I'd be more upset if they were putting Ferguson versus Cerrone ahead on the card, or I should say higher up on the card uh, than a title fight. That would be a little bit messed up. But, but in terms of like a marketing effort, sure. That's what's going to sell. That's what people want to see. Tony Ferguson, by the way, also deserves some promotion. Here's a guy who hasn't lost since, uh, you know, Holloway and Poirier fought the first time. I mean, that's the. I mean, he, it's been seven years or something. Some incredible streak in MMA's toughest division. That guy deserves some praise too. So I don't, I mean, I, I need to see the marketing material before I can say it's Luke Thomas approved. But like, if what you're describing is accurate, I more or less don't have a problem with it. All right, Danny, what's the word from uh, Mr. Gustafson? Still trying to reach him? All right, Danny's on the phone with him now. We're going to get this set up. We don't have much time for a convo because your boy has to get uh, uptown, but we will do what we can with it. So should be fun. Uh, UFC Stockholm, by the way, when does the, uh, what's the start time for this? I think I'm trying to see here. I don't think it's that early in the day. I think all this is on fight. Oh, excuse me. oh yeah. Jesus, main card starts at one. Good Lord. On ESPN Plus. All right, let's go to him now. We have not a moment to waste. He joins us on the phone. He is headlining this weekend's card against Anthony Smith for UFC Stockholm. It is the one and only mauler, Alexander Gustafson. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Hey, can you pronounce your last name for me? Is it Gustafsson? Is it Gustafsson? How do you pronounce it? No, like you said, Gustafsson. It's good. It's good. Okay. I'll roll with that. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, how are you feeling in Stockholm this week? We had Anthony Smith on the show. He said the Swedes have been very yeah. nice to him, but have asked him to lose just the same. <laughs> well, he's on enemy, enemy territory here, so... <laughs> Uh, no, it's uh, it's great. It's good, man. I'm feeling good, calm, relaxed. I'm at hotel now. Uh, well, it's uh, they found it back here in, in, in town, and uh, it feels great. I'm ready to. I'm ready for the match on Saturday. Are you? Uh, uh, do you feel like you perform better being at home, or there's more pressure at home, or maybe a combo of both? No, no, no. It's it's, it's great to be home. It's it's an highlight in my career. Every time I fight here. It's uh, I love the I love the arena I, I love you know having family and friends and fans you know like uh, just behind me and uh, no it's it's great it's great 
How are you feeling after the last fight? Do you feel like you had enough time in between to rejuvenate? To you know, pro I mean, I'm sure you're prepared. You're a professional. You're always prepared. But I guess what I'm saying is, mentally, are you in a bit of a different space after the camp? Have you turned a bit of a corner to prepare for this challenge? Well, it's a totally different challenge. It's Anthony Smith. You know, the guy. He's a, he's a good guy. He comes with a lot of fire, a lot of, a lot of power, and. Uh, he rushes people, you know, he's a fighter. So, so, so it's, it's a little bit a challenge for me. You know, it's, uh, but it's a perfect matchup. It's going to be a very entertaining fight. It's, it's a stand-up guy and I'm a stand-up guy. And, you know, like, he's a, he's a, it's a guy with a lot of routine behind him. So, so he's dangerous in any way, in, all, in any situation. So a true challenge and I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. And, uh, well, the, the John fight is, that's a different story, you know. It's, I came up short again against him, and that's about it. <laughs> what more can I say? Yeah, no, fair enough. Hey, I was looking at some tape on you the uh, for the last few fights, the Blahovich fight, the Teixeira fight, and one of the things that it just sort of looks to me is the case is that, one, you make some good reads, you know, in the middle of a fight, but also it appears to me that your team is really good about scouting opposition I wonder how much scouting, like, you know, uh, understanding what you're walking into in a fight, you guys do beforehand and what that process is. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of preparing, it's a lot of studying, it's a lot of planning and, and uh, put, a, put up a really good strategy, basically. And, and then the, I trust my, I trust my coaches. Uh, you know, I, I, tr I trust them with my life. So, you know, it's you know, we, we not even we don't call ourselves a team. We call ourselves a family. So, so you know, whoever's in front of me, I always gonna do my best and and uh, and uh, always looking to for that W. Always looking for that W. What's the goal with this fight? Right to get the win. Anything else? No, I just get to win and take another fight quick. I mean, I'm tired of waiting for and, and, and planning and, and, and looking for, like, uh, what's next. I'm just take, taking my fight at time now. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go through Anthony Smith. I'm going to get the W, beat him, beat him, and, 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 and just look for the next challenge, basically. And I want it fast. I want, I want the next fight really fast. Just, like, you know, stack them up and, and go, go through them one by one, you know, and, and see what the future brings. So, like, let's say, what, four fights in 2019? Well, I don't know. It's no guarantees. If, if I can, that would be perfect. You know, I'm satisfied with three. If I get two, it's it's two. Well, you know, I want definitely more than just this fight. I'm looking for another fight quick. And, you know, I'm, you know I, if I get three fights this year, I will be satisfied, really satisfied. Got it. Okay. Um, you know, he, we had him on the show earlier. He said something that I thought was kind of interesting. He said, um, you know, he almost doesn't even care what happens in the fight in terms of a win or a loss for him. He just wants to perform, like to pull the trigger and throw and be in a fight. I wonder yeah, what you make of that. Yeah. No, he's a, like I said, he's a, he's a fighter. He comes to fight. You know, as, I don't see him as an, as an athlete or none of that. He's just a true fighter. He comes to fight. He brings, he, he doesn't care. He, he comes to fight and looks for the finish all the time. He's always dangerous. He's a lot of fights. There's a lot of fight behind him. He, you know, even if he, I've seen him in bad position, really bad situations, bad positions, and he's so he's, he's really relaxed. He doesn't stress. 
And in a fight, a guy like that is really hard to 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 finish. It's a really hard. It's really hard to to to, to try to finish. You know, you have to be have patience with, with a guy like this and and wear him out and wear him out. You know, if it comes to 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 a decision. It comes to a decision. If I get to finish, I, you know, I take it, of course. But he's dangerous, always. Is he similar to anyone else you faced inside the UFC? Well, you know, I, I fought a lot of guys with a lot of lot of power in, in, in their hands. So, you know, uh, this guy has has also a lot of power in his hands. But what he has that I don't think many has is I, I've seen him in, just like I said to you before. You know, he can be in a really bad position on the ground or whatever you saw against John, but he, he doesn't stress. He just wherever he ends up, he doesn't matter if. If, if, if it's a lot of heat on him, he just he just stays composed and relaxed. So I think that's very very a really good quality to have. And I was going to ask about that in terms of his John Jones fight. What lesson did you take away from him about that? Well, I, I, it felt like he wasn't really him in that fight. You know, he, he was he was really really like. Uh, he was really, he wasn't that off. Uh, like, he didn't pull the trigger, really. He was just, he stood there against the cage and, and took damage for five rounds, basically. So, I, I don't I don't take, I haven't looked at that. I saw that fight once or twice, but it's nothing that I, I, I uh, it's nothing that I'm planning my strategy on or anything like that. Because, because I, I don't think he, he wasn't the same in that fight like he was in his other fights. Like, he finished some true legends in the sport and, it comes, I come, I comes in like a truck, you know. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, by the way, are you undefeated at the Ericsson Globe Arena? Yeah, so far, yeah, and I will, I will stay like that. Is it? A, you consider it a good luck charm? Yeah, I love this arena. I feel really good vibes from it. I'm planning to stay undefeated in this arena for the whole my career. Uh, well, we don't have much time, so we have to run. But I, I appreciate you stopping by for a few minutes, Alex. Can't wait to see the fight, and I'm looking forward to see what you have in store in 2019. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. All right, there he goes. Short interview, I know, but it's all we have time for here. Um, okay, keep sending those tweets using the hashtag #TheMMAHour. Keep calling eight. Excuse me, 844-866-2468, the MMA hour at voxmedia.com. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, stay frosty.